a lot of times they don't see it. They don't see that there's that opportunity for them. I didn't even know about paracycling or parasport until I was 26. And so I think that if an athlete or if a person that has a disability can learn that sooner and still see that they can be an athlete, still see that they can do stuff with their life, that they're not confined to some adversity or some hardship, then it's all the better. Hi, and welcome to the Empowerment and Courage podcast. We are your hosts, Ellie and Coco, and we speak to professional athletes so that they can inspire you with their stories. We talk about what's beyond the success, things like the challenges and adversity they had to face, and their advice to anyone with big dreams. In today's episode, Coco speaks with American cyclist Samantha Bosco. She's a two-time Paralympic bronze medalist, the 2015 Para Pan Am Games road race champion, 2017 Paracycling World Champion in the 3K Individual Pursuit, and has won an additional nine World Championship medals. Samantha speaks about her journey from dealing with her disability and chronic pain growing up, to eventually finding paracycling and becoming a professional cyclist. She also shares her advice for how to deal with adversity, based on the numerous challenges that she has faced throughout her career and explains the huge difference that surrounding yourself with the right people can make. For Samantha, sports has always been a means for strength and power and today she wants to be an inspiration and help change lives by sharing her story with others. This is such an inspiring episode with a major focus on facing and overcoming hardships and just never giving up. So hi, Samantha, and uh, welcome on our podcast. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. So for those who don't know you, maybe you could start by telling us a bit about who you are and uh, what you do. Well, I'm Samantha Bosco. I am a paracyclist, which basically is a fancy way of saying I'm a cyclist with a disability. I um, started pretty young as a mountain biker and wanted to be a professional bike racer by the time I was nine years old. Had a limb lengthening surgery at 11 years old that didn't go quite as planned and I ended up spending three years on crutches. Had over a dozen surgeries and have permanent permanent damage to my leg now that as a result kind of left me feeling like I had lost that little nine-year-old dream of racing my mountain bike and I took up rowing, rode for a little bit, ended up having knee problems when I made it to the collegiate level. I got a full athletic scholarship to a division one school in central Florida and rode there for two years before ruining my knee bad enough that I had to retire. And then I ended up getting back on a bike thanks to my dad and started racing pretty competitively road bikes and then found out about paracycling and became a paracyclist in 2013, became part of the national team by the end of that and have been on the team ever since. Wow, that's that's awesome. So as you say, you started like uh, biking pretty early. Um, can you tell us why did you start biking and did you do another other sport as well? Well, if I remember correctly, and I don't know that I've ever asked my dad to confirm one way or another. He's never corrected me, so I just assume <laughs> that's the story. But 
we moved when I was pretty young and still in school um, to a town over. And instead of getting on the bus schedule for like the last two weeks of school, we ended up, my dad and I, um, riding to and from school. He would ride with me to school, bring my bike home and bring my bike back and we'd ride back. And we both just kind of fell in love with riding bikes and started riding more. My mom started riding. It became a family thing where we'd ride the coastal trail in Alaska and just kind of fell in love with it. And then my dad found out about Arc Bicycle Club, which is this local mountain bike club. And we started racing and end is history. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. That's that's fun. Um, So... As you say, you got an athletic scholarship in uh, the University of Central uh, Florida. Was it always a dream of yours to play sport in college? Um, or was it something that came up later on growing up? You know, I don't know that I ever dreamt of it as a collegiate athlete. Um, I kind of skipped over college in my dreaming and just went for when I got old enough to do something that wasn't in school and it just happened to be racing bikes but when that kind of fell apart I found ways to have new dreams and new things to rely on so rowing started as a form of rehab when I got off crutches to keep the movement that I had in my ankles still there I don't have much I have eight degrees flexion and so when I started rowing, I fell in love with that. And then I started dreaming about being a collegiate athlete and getting a scholarship that way. So there's always been some sort of dream to be an athlete on some level. Okay. Okay. So rowing just came without even thinking really about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved doing it and I often joke that I love to suffer and rowing seems (laughs) to be the full on, sport that hurts every part of your body <laughs> for sure but, but when I finally got on a, in a boat for the first time it was almost like I found part of myself that I had lost during all those time okay. all those years on crutches because nobody really looked at my leg differently because my leg does look different as a result of the surgeries and they just wanted to be athletic and we wanted to challenge each other and so for me it was like almost like I felt normal in a way for lack of better words um but I just felt like old Sam again (laughs) okay okay maybe maybe some freedom for you as well maybe yeah yeah I think so I think it's funny because I think that regardless of the sport I've done I feel the most powerful when I'm being athletic and challenging my okay. challenging myself and pushing my body to its limits and beyond its limits and seeing what I can do. Okay. So, like you talk about, um, you row in college for two years and then you had to stop because of your injury. Um, can you tell us about this a, a little bit more? Yeah, so... To add backstory, I was born with a bowed tibia. So basically the bone above my ankle on the right side uh, was curved. And at four years old, they took doctors took that part of my bone out to make it straighter. So I ended up having a right leg that was two and a half inches shorter than the left. Um, 
did normal things. I ran on the weekends, did any kind of sport possible, uh, procrastinated on my homework because I was being a little kid running outside and having fun. And, um, I, so I had surgery at 11 to lengthen it and just the doctors, there were some complications and, uh, as a result, my ankles bone on bone, my right leg is still an inch shorter. Um, I have nerve damage, severe nerve damage from my knee down on the right side and can't really build muscle on the right side. Um, and as, so as a result, my right, my right quad is like 25% as strong as my left Mm -hmm. and my calf is even weaker. So for me, rowing was kind of like a means to have some sort of normalcy, some sort of power back because I felt a little weak when I had surgeries. Like I felt like something was done to me that I had no control over and kind of lost some of that childhood uh, daydreamer in me. So I just took up rowing and rowing just kind of seemed to fill some voids. And then I started rowing pretty consistently and I made it a goal to get that scholarship. Of course. Um, And I mean, after all of this, you find your way back to cycling. So how, how did that happen? Like after all of this, like you went back to cycling? Yeah, so... It's funny. Um, my dad got me back into bikes the second time too. <laughs> I when I retired from when I retired from rowing, I spent my whole spring semester sophomore year working with a rehab specialist, um, and that rehab specialist and my mom both spent that whole time convincing me that I had to stop rowing because I'm stubborn and strong-willed and didn't want (laughs) to give up. Uh, For me, it felt very much like I failed. Like, like I've always been told I could do anything. And then it was thrown in my face that I can't do everything. So for me, I kind of, I kind of spiraled a little bit. Like I lost who I was. I lost my sense of identity. Um, all my friends were rowers and they, once I stopped rowing, they were like, okay, cool. You're not part of the club. Um, so my dad kind of saw this and knew that I needed another outlet. And so he did a bunch of research, found out a way to get me on a bike that we could put shims in my cleats so that I didn't have pain in my knees or my hips because virtually I'm the same leg length on the bike. And so he pushed me to try to go for a bike ride and just get outside and get some fresh air. And <laughs> I remember, still remember getting on my dad's bike that's too big for me and <laughs> wearing his old jersey that's also too big for me <laughs> and my mom's shoes, which were too small for me, but just <laughs> loving the fact that I could ride my bike and loving the fact that there was still something I could do. and it was back to my first love. So it was full circle. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you talk a bit about it, how it was a 
your dream since you were a kid to become like a professional athlete and a professional cyclist. So is that dream like when with you this whole time or was it or did it come back after when you started cycling again, that dream came back to you? It came back. Um, for a long time, I didn't think it was possible for a long time. I didn't necessarily have a dream. And so for me, when I found out about paracycling is when it really kind of started to take off when I got to go to Spain for the first time was when it was like, oh, this is cool. Like I could actually <laughs> go travel to different countries and, and race my bike and do that. But it it wasn't until 2016 when I was training for the Paralympics, my first Paralympics, that it hit me on a bike ride that I was living that little that dream I had from the beginning, like I was traveling the world. I was racing my bike and it didn't dawn on me for three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So you, you talked about it a bit, but after three years competing in your first paracycling race in 2013, uh, you were selected to compete for the team USA and at the 2016 Rio Paralympics where you actually won the, two bronze medals. Um, so I, I listened uh, to other interviews that you've made and I understand that Paralympics was one of the best experiences of your life so far. Um, could you try to describe what it was like competing at, the, at that stage uh, for the first time and obviously winning two medals? I still have a hard time putting it into words, like articulating all the feelings I had because it's it's all of the feelings, like it's the highs, it's the lows, it's the excitement, it's the uh, nervous energy of, oh no, like I want to perform and I want to do well. And so for me, <clears throat> we were the first day of racing. So I didn't go to opening ceremonies. My husband got to go to opening ceremonies and then he told me about it afterwards, but I didn't get to go because <laughs> I, I had a chance to medal uh, in my 3K individual pursuit, and that was the first day racing. Okay. So I, I made the decision to stay back at the village and make sure I got enough sleep, like calm my nerves so that I wasn't such a ball of energy that I just had this huge letdown in the morning and then didn't perform very well. And so when I got to the velodrome and I'm warming up and just trying to treat it like an everyday race, and then I walk out onto the track to get onto my bike, which is hooked up in the start gate. And then I start to realize like, wow, I'm really here. Like this is, this is it. All of these people are here to watch us. And the velodrome was packed and I've never had a packed velodrome for a race. Like it was okay. <laughs> insanely awesome. And I'm just trying to like take it all in before the race. Like, seconds before I'm supposed to race okay. trying to take in all of these feelings like all the all of the people that have helped get me there all of the people that are supporting me all the people that are watching at home and and rooting for me across the world was just mind-boggling and just so surreal it was like I was on cloud nine and then <laughs> I heard the beeps of <laughs> the countdown clock get to 10 seconds and I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should race first and then take the rest in. So that whole day was just such an experience. And I was already having a good time at the village and 
getting to meet all the people there, all the spectators, like they were amazing. They made it so much better than it ever could have been for me. And so that whole day was a whirlwind of excitement. And I made the bronze medal round and then went back to the village to like get away from the excitement, kind of settled down before the finals and then came back for the finals and was amped up and just <laughs> went out too fast. Uh, <laughs> had about two seconds, maybe more at one point on my opponent. Cause in the three K you basically have a person start on each side of the velodrome and try to chase each other around. So I was up on her by two seconds and then I started to fade and it just took everything in me just to keep going and thinking about all of the people that are were a part of the journey, all of the people that donated even just to get me and Andrew, my husband there so that I could have some support while I was there. It just, it felt so good to win that first medal and to win it for me, for my country, for my coach, for everybody. So it's to this day, it's still one of the best feelings in the world. For sure, for sure. And then you went to one another one later during those competitions. So yeah, yeah, I did. I was pretty lucky <laughs> to come home with two of them. Well, you're not like nervous about like going there like for the first time and, and how did you deal with like the pressure maybe going there and also like participate and representing your country? I, I would say that my nerves started well before the games. Um, I w was never really nervous going to a okay. bike race and I raced able body also. So I had a lot of racing back home and never was really nervous. And then it seemed like when the, cl when the clock struck midnight, January 1st, 2016, like always nervous. Every bike race, I was just nervous <laughs> because I wanted to get to trials to make the team and not get injured leading up to it. Like it, <laughs> my goal was to make the team. So once I finally made the team, it was almost like I wasn't nervous leading into the games like okay. I had done what I came to do whatever happened in Rio was just icing on the cake like I was so prepared in my training in working with my coach working with my sports psych all of the boxes I guess were ticked off for me so I went through processing and boarded that plane to go to Rio just so excited to go and Now that I think about it, it's interesting because I feel like the day of, I wasn't necessarily nervous in a bad way. Like I had that ex excitement and anticipation of like, what could I do? But at the same time, it wasn't expected of me to have a medal in, on a track event. Okay. I wasn't, my strong suit was the time trial. It wasn't necessarily mm -hmm. the track at that point. So for me, it was just like, okay, where do I stack up? And then... Once I made it to finals, I was like, okay, now we need to not make sure we're getting nervous. <laughs> like, we need to make sure we don't get nervous here. Um, but I felt pretty calm. Like, I was confident in my ability at that point. Okay. Okay. So, you would say that because of all of the that preparation that you had before, you didn't have that much pressure going there. You were just focused and, and ready to 
to do you. Yeah, yeah. I feel like for me, if I'm doing all the work I need to be doing, if I'm happy, like that's when I ride my best is when I know without a doubt I did everything I could and I put everything into being the athlete I could be, the best athlete I could be, then whatever happens, it was meant to happen how it was supposed to. And I can't change the outcome. I can just ride my butt off and make sure I give it everything I have. So if I don't leave the road or the track (laughs) exhausted, like then I'm disappointed. I'm not disappointed if I know that I gave it my all. Okay, for sure. So you talked a bit about it, that coming back home, you kind of lost a bit of motivation after that Paralympic Games. Um, was it something that you expected or like, because it's not something that we talked about a lot about, I mean, in the news, we're going to see like a lot about like the athlete and the competition. But then once it's finished, we're not going to talk about uh, the after the games. So was it something that you expected to felt that way? I didn't. Um, I had no idea. And I called my mom a few days afterwards and I told her that I was like feeling kind of sad and not sure what was going on. And my mom was like, oh yeah, they call it the post games blues. And I'm like, mom, why didn't you tell me about this? And she said, would you really have wanted to know before you win? (laughs) So once she talked to me about it, like it made total sense that you have this such this high moment, such this preparation and this buildup for something so extremely important to you that once it's over, you're like, oh, okay, now what? Like, <laughs> like it's and now looking back on it, like I knew I should have known that it was going to happen mm-hmm. because you can't have such big highs without some lows. And for me, that was, it came after the games after like, okay, now what do I do? But it it's funny because it wasn't like I was going to retire after the games. I still was a cyclist. I still wanted to be a cyclist, but it was just like, oh man, that was so fun. Like I want to do it again. <laughs> and then you have to, to wait yeah. four more years to, yeah. to have that feeling again. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Five now. Um, but I guess you're going to be more prepared to deal with that if that happened next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I find myself a better mindset mentally this time around. Um, not just for expecting the highs and lows of it, but just being more secure in who I am. I think part of the lack of motivation after Rio was more to do with who I was as a person and what I was supposed to be doing with my life, whether that be from my own personal expectations or pressure from outside sources. Um, So I kind of started to run away from cycling, I guess, and not just have that be who I was, despite how much I loved it. Um, and then it took, it took a little bit, but I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I really love cycling. Like I've always (laughs) loved riding my bike. And even on days 
When I'm not feeling so great, if I get on a bike for 15 minutes, I end up falling in love with the ride and then I'll ride for longer. And if I don't, then it's just a day that I should take off anyways. But it took a while for me to realize like, you're allowed to live your life the way you want. Yeah, <laughs> so of course. once I realized like, yeah, I love being a cyclist. There's other things I'd like to do, but this is what I want to do with my life. Then it was like, okay, let's do this. And it's been even better ever since. So I feel like for me, it's just loving the sport now. It's just riding because I love to ride my bike. I love my friends that I get to make from cycling. Like I've made friends all over the world that I get to see at races. I get to be competitive. And then you get off the the field of play, I guess, and just have fun with it. Of course. So you would say that you grow a lot from 2016 in these first Paralympic Games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that... I think that 2016 was such a good year for me because, or at least the games part of it was such a good year for me because I had had a really low moment at the beginning of the year. I did an able body bike race that I didn't do very well at. I uh, didn't make it past the first stage because of a couple of reasons and kind of spiraled and felt like I didn't want to ride bikes anymore. Like it wasn't, mm. I wasn't cut out for it. And then, with the help of my coach and my husband, I got through it and my sports bike psych too. Like they all helped me push past the feelings. And then I started this roller coaster ride up and just had a great rest of the year. And so Rio was like just on cloud nine, happy, excited. I was a good <laughs> athlete. Like I was ready. I was training my butt off because I wanted to do well in time trial. And it just translated to the track for me things just lined up. And so for me, there's definitely been a huge growth process since 16 to today. Like I've, okay. I've really worked on who I am and what I want out of my life and am really not taking any prisoners, I guess, or not That's listening cool. to people who aren't a part of it and helping me and in the arena with me. Of course, because at the end of the day, you're alone on your bike in the arena, so... Yeah, yeah, for me, it's just... Yeah, at the end of the day, for me, it's about me on the bike. It's about what I can put into it. It's about how I can push myself to be better, to be faster, to be more mentally tough, even. So every time I get on the bike, it's just... There's always a positive from it. Of course. Okay, that's awesome. So just recently, I watched this documentary called uh, Rising Phoenix. Uh, you probably heard about it, about the Paralympics in Rio in 2016. Um, it was such a like a great documentary. I love it. We watch it together. Um, but it was one thing that I didn't know um, was that they almost canceled the games because of the lack of um, uh, money and financial issues. How aware were you as an athlete about the situation leading up? to the games and how did it impact you? Um, so the games itself, like there wasn't any thought in my mind that it wasn't going to happen. Like I knew that there was struggle financially and I knew that they had spent a bunch on the Olympic side and there potentially wasn't going to be as much para. Um, but for me, like 
it's almost like how I'm going to Tokyo. Like I'm just going to believe that it's going to happen. And I have faith that it happens how it should. And so it didn't necessarily affect me. Um, it was nice. (laughs) The nice part about it was we ended up having the opportunity to bring more athletes with us to Rio. And that was fun for me because it meant that a couple of my friends who hadn't made the team ended up getting a spot closer to the games, which was fun for me to get to watch them race too. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Okay. So that, that's interesting. Um, so competing with team USA for the past few years now, what does it mean to for you to get to travel the world and represent your country and obviously with your bike at the highest level? I'm still taken aback by it. Like I, I will still get on a plane and not necessarily realize the significance of getting to go to the other country until I get there. Like it's, I've traveled enough that I have this kind of system that I'm pretty good and solid when I fly internationally. So it it almost doesn't dawn on me that I'm going to a different country until I step off the plane and all the signs are in different languages that I'm (laughs) hopefully (laughs) learning a little bit of now. (laughs) But it's still pretty surreal. It's still the opportunity to get to see the world. And we don't necessarily see that much of it because we do go from hotel to, or from the airport to the hotel, to the race venue, to the hotel, to the airport. But the beauty of being a cyclist and bringing my bike is those days off in between racing, a group of us will go and explore different parts of where we're at and get to see that. So for me, it's, it's fun to kind of embrace the cultures when I go there. And I've been kind of fortunate in that, a couple places I've gotten to stay later and explore and South Africa was one of them. And it was an amazing, like surreal experience (laughs) and got to go on safari and see all the animals and just get to embrace that culture too. And try some local foods. I'd like to go to restaurants that are off the map that locals recommend and kind of interact with the people and try the different cuisines. But it's also like, it's also given me the opportunity to have different sponsors that have come on board that almost leave me speechless because in a way I don't necessarily see the significance it has for like for me or for me to other people. Like I don't necessarily, it's I'm riding my bike. Like I just like to ride my bike and just being an athlete. And so when a new sponsor comes on board, I had one recently um, come on board last week now, maybe we can, maybe two weeks now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it was pretty surreal because they sponsored me with a car and it's, to me, it's just, I'm just riding a bike. But, (laughs) but when you stop to think like you're also changing other people's lives, you're, you're also representing the U S like it's so humbling that people, believe in me and want to support me and want to see me do well so that I can inspire other people and motivate others to chase their dreams. Like that's to me, it's not just about cycling, I guess, because I love talking to future generations and going to schools and having assemblies and talking to kids and 
inspiring them to dream big and go for it. So I guess it's just nice to have people from all over the world just encourage you and cheer you on and support it. Of course, of course. And maybe make your bad day a bit better uh, thinking about all of this. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, I want to be an inspiration. Like I, I love being an inspiration regardless of what people choose to see or how they view me or being a paracyclist or me being a female athlete or anything really like if I can touch someone's life and make them believe in themselves because they've seen me not give up to me that that's life like I left a mark I want to leave a mark I want to represent my country I want to I want to win some medals and I want to go to more games but at the end of the day too I want to change some lives of course of course and you probably already did some change in some lives maybe you don't yeah know necessarily but I'm sure you did already I I certainly hope so I I've only really had one person that I'll, I'll never forget her and her story and it was <laughs> it was at a a swimming get together conference type deal where I was a motivational speaker and she basically basically came up to me afterwards and thanked me because it kept her wanting to keep swimming and to me that was why I do this why I keep doing it and why I share my story because I had a hard time like I had a hard time sharing my story and asking for help when I needed it or saying some of the more vulnerable parts of it, the more challenging parts until okay. I hear that kind of thing. And then I'm like, I want to share that because somebody else was feeling that too. And if I can help them, I, ca I yeah, can't not? refuse. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so I hope I've I hope I've inspired more people. Like I, I I really do hope that I've left marks on people. And I guess even just oh she has a nice smile or she made my day because she complimented <laughs> my shoes. Like <laughs> I hope so. No, I'm sure you did and I'm sure you're gonna continue to do it as you still didn't finish your career, so for sure. Thanks. So apart from the Paralympics, you also accomplish a lot of other things. Uh, you are the 2015 Para Pan Am Games Road Race Champion, the 2017 uh, Paracycling World Champion in the 3K Individual Pursuit, and has won an additional nine uh, World Championships medal. Looking back at all of this, if you could pick one of your favorite moments, we talk a bit about like the the Paralympic medals. But from your career, like which one is your favorite, or maybe if you have few. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a few. Um, I definitely think that nothing can top the 3K individual pursuit at the games um, because I won it by four thousandths of a second. Yes, like it went to a photo finish, and it was a hard-fought battle. And I still can't watch replays of it. <laughs> like I still am finding myself like, "Go Sam, <laughs> go faster! Why are you slowing down?" <laughs> so for me, like 
that medal holds a special place in my heart. And of course, it was the first one, my first games, my first day of racing. Like, of course. It'll always be the most important medal to me. Um, other than that, the World Championship medal is also one. Um, it's definitely something that every cyclist strives for is to be a world champion. You also get a jersey with rainbow stripes. We call them rainbow yeah. stripes, but they're the five Olympic rings across the chest. And so it's, it's definitely something all cyclists strive for and something I've always thought would be cool to have also. So that's an, a big one. And I got to win that at the velodrome in LA, which is my velodrome, my home velodrome. And my husband and his family got to come and a few friends got to come. So it was a chance for people to actually see it happen. Um, Amazing. Yeah, it was super fun. And then the, the 2015 Para Pan Am's road race gold medal is also up there. I think those are my top three. Um, that one was significant because that year was a hard year. For me, I um, got hit by a car on a training ride. Thankfully, the car wasn't going too fast so that I didn't suffer any broken bones, but I had suffered a concussion that left me with vestibular rehab and off the bike for some time. And I spent, I want to say, five to six weeks training for world championships and then para Pan Am games were the weekend following Um and I went to Road World Championships and got two fifth places. Nothing to write home about. I was kind of upset, <laughs> actually, because it was my first it was my first world championship, road world championship that I didn't medal in. And I it wasn't necessarily expected, but I expected it of myself. Yeah, okay. So I went to to Toronto for Parapan, just kinda like, okay, maybe I'm not really ready to race and race the road race and somehow strategy some training and luck and won the <laughs> road race and immediately fell over because I was so exhausted and then started crying because I'm also a happy crier. And so for me, that was a significant one too. Cause that was like, despite your hurdles, you can still, yeah. you can still do it. You can still come through on top. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So You've obviously been very successful uh, with what you've done, but what would you say that success mean to you? Is that winning races or is that doing what you love for a living, traveling, or is it something else? Ooh, that's a good <laughs> question, man. I think success is definitely living your best life. I think whatever it means to live your life epically or on some level fulfilling to you, I think is success. I think being happy, doing what makes you happy, despite what anybody else thinks or says, and being fully embraceive of yourself and who you are as a person and what you love, I think is success. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good answer, I would say. <laughs> you did good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> man i'm gonna have to think about that one too because like yeah yeah success is definitely happiness i guess for sure like you can't success can bring happiness but you can't truly be like when you're truly happy is successful yeah i agree with you 
So you also face like we talked a bit about it. You talked a bit about it. You face many challenges and setbacks through your career. First, the surgery when you were a kid. Then again, the injury that forced you to stop rowing. Then like you talked a bit about it, the car accident. You really like uh, you truly a warrior for sure. Um, so at these difficult moments during your life, uh, was it what is it that helped you to to keep going and to overcome those challenges? A handful of things. Um, I think the first and foremost is I've always been strong-willed. I've always kind of had independence instilled in me, and I I thank my parents a lot for that as well because they nurtured it um, and definitely pushed me to never give up and never let anybody decide that for me. Um, but I think too, having people to rely on to help carry the burden, if you will, mm -hmm. um, has helped a lot. Like when I retired from rowing, it was really hard. I wouldn't have been able to get through it without my parents, without my dad and without the bike. So for me, like having that support system and even the times when riding bikes were hard, having the support system from my dad or my husband or even my mom, even my brother, like it helped get me through those moments for sure. And I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't for those people helping me when I needed it, even when I didn't <laughs> know I needed it. <laughs> But at the same time, like I'm so self-motivated. I'm so stubborn. I'll say stubborn. <laughs> I still think stubborn is a good word, but I'm so stubborn in that, like, I don't want to give up till I'm ready to give up. Okay. So for me, I'll just keep pushing myself, even if it means pushing myself into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, so you will say a mix of both of like having the right people around you and also your self motivation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think, I definitely think surrounding yourself with the right people makes huge difference even if that amplifies certain traits within mm -hmm. yourself to get through things yeah okay um and did you at any time that you you wanted to give up cycling or not at all oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've had times i yeah in in 2016 I almost gave up cycling altogether. Like I told my husband, sell all my bikes. Like I just, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not, there's no way I'm going to make it like just done. But it all happens in the heat of the moment when you're at your lowest that you're like, I can't do it anymore. And all it takes is one voice, one person telling you, yeah, you can. And then actually believing, yeah, you're right, I can, to get you through it. Like, for me, it was multiple people at that time. And other times when I wanted to give up cycling, it's been other multiple people too. But, like, the second somebody says, no, you can do it. You're meant to do this. Just give it a minute. Just just take a step back. Just take a breather. It's, And then it's like, yeah. I do like this. Like, I want to do this. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And looking at it now, I guess you, you took the right choice to not give up. Yeah. <laughs> because after, after that, you got two bronze medal and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, 
I kind of fall back on that story quite a bit because there are times when even in the local bike race, I'm thinking like, we're riding around basically in spandex diapers <laughs> and going in circles. Like, why are we doing this? Why is this a thing? And then afterwards, it's just that exhilaration of pushing yourself, of trying to be the best you can be, of being fully aware of people around you and unpredictableness and chaos that it's just excitement afterwards and so on the days that I'm like yeah I don't really want to do this I think about that time when I almost stopped doing it and then kept going because something inside me was like no this is what you want like we're gonna do this and then it worked out for the best and I got two medals and so I, I like I have them in a spot where I can always see them as like a reminder, like despite however hard something gets, if you can just make it through, it's going to get so much better. It's going to, it's going to be worth it. Like to me, those medals are, it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's so much more, but like I see that and I think like, of course, this is not letting anything stop you of course that's cool so what advice would you give to people who are actually facing adversity right now and that may feel like there is no way to pass it oh another good question there i i feel like there's so much i want i would want to say to give advice but i think for me the biggest piece of advice i would give first is to ask for help um I definitely was among the camp, the camp that did not ask for help when I needed it and just kind of tried to struggle and through it and get it on my own. And then <laughs> have had people push their help on me in good ways. Like my husband mm-hmm. got me a professional bike fit when he realized that I was in pain all the time and said I didn't have to be. And so got a bike fit and stopped having so much knee pain and then started realizing like, wow, if I had asked for help a while ago, like I would have been in less pain way sooner. So I started asking for help more. And a lot of times, some of the stuff that I struggle with, like if I ask a certain person, they'll be like, oh yeah, I know how to handle that. Like I've done it before. I've been there. Like so many people go through, not necessarily the same thing, but they go through so much adversity in their lives that chances are somebody that you ask will have advice to help. And so for me, I think the biggest advice I would give is to definitely ask for help, to know without a doubt that it makes you stronger. I think bad days are bound for everyone. And I think that good days are bound for everyone. And you can't have the good days without experiencing the bad days. You can't appreciate you can't appreciate the good days without the bad. Um, so, yeah, I think that for me, I've, I've learned to kind of embrace the hardship as a challenge to overcome that hardship, that adversity, mm-hmm. and be a stronger person because of it. And then I'm sure you appreciate better the, the better moment and the highest moment because you know that you are those low moments before oh yeah yeah definitely I think (laughs) I think every good moment has been 
well appreciated because of low moments like like 2015 that that pair of pan am metal was i celebrated that more than anything and i celebrated it for a while because i had a low moment like i knew how hard it was for me to get there how many people literally pushed me on bike rides so that i wouldn't get dropped from the <laughs> bike ride to train for that world championship in those games like yeah you just one step at a time one pedal stroke at a time <laughs> yeah of course of course and that's that's what is like cool to talk about it because sometimes like people are just gonna watch on tv and then they don't know that maybe like not even a year ago you had a car accident you know right um right so it can look like oh it's easy like but it's actually not yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I think that, I think that it's harder too, because I think that with social media and just basically seeing highlight reels and happy moments, people don't realize everyone goes through something. Literally everyone goes through adversity. Of course. Yeah. It's, it's true that social media made it more difficult to see, or maybe to understand that, especially for the young generation i mean i have my sister and 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 i have to tell her that uh, you know it's not the reality people are not always happy like you can see um on instagram so right right so yeah for sure yeah i think i think people it's good too like your, the podcast you guys are doing like it's it's nice to have people like you that are encouraging all facets of it and showing that there is some adversity and there is some struggle and there is perseverance and there's strength and courage and bravery. And for me, like Thank you. that shows so much to see that other athletes, other people, we all are similar in that sense. And we can use that, as inspiration to get through our own stuff. Like I have things that are struggling sometimes, <laughs> but then I think of like, I'm not the only one. And it's, it's nice to know you're not the only one. Yeah, for sure. So thank you. For sure. No, no, of course, of course. It's a pleasure. So growing up um, and starting to play sport competitively, um, did you add like your biggest inspiration or motivation you were looking up to? Um, <laughs> not really. That sounds really bad, but I guess for me, I just, I wanted to be strong. I wanted my dad and his friends to be proud of me and think I was a good cyclist and mountain biker <laughs> and, and then a good rower. And then my brother is nine years younger than me and he, by the time I was rowing, he was old enough to kind of be influenced by me. And so for me, my role model kind of became him. <laughs> so I guess I looked up to my little brother because he was always so determined and a really good athlete and all around, like just an all American. And he loved baseball since he was five years old, played it all the time, brought a glove everywhere. And he kind of showed me like the love that you could have for a sport and how you just own it. And he kind of 
always looked up to me and for me I wanted to be a good role model for him okay. so I guess by looking up to him I was a better athlete in person okay <laughs> that's cool <laughs> that's cool and is that something that still like motivate you today or inspire you I think so. Yeah, 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 I think so. I, I definitely want my family, my mom and my dad and my brother to be proud of me. I want my husband to be proud of me. I want the people that support me to be proud of me, my coach, my sports psych, my sponsors. Like, I want people to be proud and to, like, have faith in their belief in me. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think for sure I try to be a, a role model for him. I think I, I definitely translate that to being a role model for the kids that I'm a mentor to throughout Southern California and the schools that I work with, um, the videos that I send to teachers to share with their students. I definitely want to be somebody that they look up to. Okay, for sure. That's cool. Um, so it's clear that sport of always been a part of your life um, but looking at it now what impact would you say that sport uh, cycling but also rowing has had on your life and what has it taught you hmm. good questions um, for me sport has definitely been a means for strength for power um, I feel like when I'm on the bike, I'm, I don't want to say normal because that's not the right word, but for me, it's almost like I'm normal. Like I don't have a disability. I'm, I'm on equal playing field and then it's my talents showcase when I'm riding. Um, so for me, sport is definitely empowerment. It makes me feel stronger off the bike also, okay. like if I can do that, if I can push myself to go through my max heart rate and keep going, and if I can push myself to go up a hill and all of this stuff, then I can also push myself off the bike to be a better person, to do better. Um, so for me, sport has taught that. It's taught discipline. It's taught responsibility. It's taught camaraderie. Like, My friends, all of my friends are cyclists. <laughs> Most majority of my friends are cyclists. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just taught me that there's definitely more to myself and more to life in general. More, it's taught me to be happy. It's taught me to pursue things that make me happy. It's taught me to really just do the things that I love and inspire people to do the things that they love and not be so judgmental on it. Okay. And how important, like you talk a bit about kids and how important is it for you that kids um, and kids with disability as well have the opportunity to actually play sport? I think it's super important. I definitely love paying it forward. I love sharing my story. I love encouraging younger generations to partake in sport. I think there's a lot to be learned from it. Self-awareness, self-acceptance, uh, maturity, discipline, dedication, motivation. Like there's so many positive attributes of being an athlete, even if it's only for a little bit of time that 
I definitely encourage younger generations to partake mm-hmm. in sport. And I think it's even more important for younger generations with disabilities to partake in sport too, because a lot of times they don't see it. They don't see that there's that opportunity for them. I didn't even know about paracycling or parasport until I was 26. And so I think that if an athlete or if a person that has a disability can learn that sooner and still see that they can be an athlete, still see that they can do stuff with their life, that they're not confined to some adversity or some hardship, then it's all the better for sure. Of course. And you talk a bit uh, about it, uh, that you spend time to um, visiting school in LA, um, about like your story. How important is it for you to, to be able to do this? Super important. I, I definitely, I love giving my time in that sense. I definitely like to volunteer. I try to, um, with how much I'm training and how time consuming that is, it's hard to have certain opportunities to volunteer. Of course. Um, so for me being able to go to schools and encouraging kids to (laughs) even do their homework (laughs) on time, (laughs) is important to me. I I definitely, like I had such great parents have such great parents. Like I had such great parents growing up and they're still great. I still love them. Hi mom and dad, if you're listening. Um, (laughs) But they were there for me when I was younger. They were my rocks. Like they helped me through so much. I wouldn't be half the person I am today if it wasn't for them. And even as I got older, I've had such great people in my life that if I can be that person for the next generation, for somebody who's seven or eight right now, or even 16, like yeah, that means so much to me that I will always give my time to go to a school and talk to people to go to a swim practice and talk to the swim team. Like if I could do it more, I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But I bet you have a busy schedule yeah. as well. Yeah, and now with, with all of this stuff, there's not many opportunities to go into yeah, the schools. That's true, that's true. Um, so would you say that you see yourself as a role model? I, I hope so. I think so. I, I definitely I definitely want to be a positive role model and I want to be somebody that's approachable and real and somebody that people can look up to and not think that they can't attain it. Like I think that there are some athletes that are just so amazingly good and amazingly like huge that almost feels unattainable. Like Serena Williams, I love her. (laughs) She's amazing. But at the same time, like there's no way I can be that good of a tennis player. Like I want to be that role model that, people definitely aspire to be also not saying that she isn't because God, if I could be the role model, she was too. like half the role model. She is, I feel pretty successful in that sense. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So I also understand that you like work as a content coordinator for an organization called Angel City Sports, uh, which provide opportunities for kids and adults with disability to learn and train a variety of sport in uh, California. So when and how did you get involved uh, with them? 
So I've kind of been involved with them in some way or another since I got back from the Paralympic Games in 2016. Um, but they don't have cycling as a sport that the young kids, I guess anybody, any age, because it's really for any age, but they never really got cycling into it just because of equipment demands and okay. and the money to get all of the supplies Um so it's kind of been off and on, going to games, meeting people. And then this year with COVID happening, um, their Angel City Games, which is put on every summer, was canceled, the in-person one. So they decided to do a virtual Angel City Games for the summer, and all of which can still be accessed. Like, there's still people can still watch all of the recaps from all the sessions, uh, but it gave me an opportunity to get involved on the staff side and help with their social media and their graphics leading up to it. So I got to have a little part in that as well, which was super fun because for me, that's getting to see all those athletes is they're amazing. Like there are so many amazing people (laughs) that like you have a disability and you just go to something that Angel City Sports puts on and you don't see it. Everybody's just smiling, having a good time, encouraging each other. Like That's amazing. Oh, it's so fun. It's so re- it's so refreshing too. Okay. So how important would you say is the work that Angel City Sport does? I, I think it's huge. I think I think if there were more organizations like them throughout the country para-sport would be more known in the U.S. and not so taboo, if you will. Um, Like, you go to other countries and people are watching the paracycling races. People are... They know about it. There's countries that have days at school where students get to find out about para-sport. If we could get that in the U.S., all of those younger generations would be so further along. All of the veterans that come home with some sort of disability from sacrificing mm. themselves to protect our country would have something to look forward to. Like, there's just so of much course. positivity that comes from it that it's huge. And if there was just more, if there were more Angel City sports <laughs> throughout the country, like, I think we would be in a better place. I think we would definitely be more compassionate for sure. Okay. Okay. For sure. Uh, So Angel City Sport is only in LA or there is... Yeah, they have, they have um, a chapter, I think in Oregon or there's like starting to develop something there. Um, But people from all over the country can come. And there's other organizations too that are throughout the country as well. But for me, it's, LA like Angel City Sports is so close to where I am that they're the most prominent for me um and they put on that games every year that gets so many people (laughs) out that's just so fun to watch okay okay that's awesome um so for the people listening who would like to know more about it or contribute like where can they do that is that like on their website Yes, so they have a website. It's called angelcitysports.org. You can also follow them on Instagram at angelcitysports um, and Facebook too. 
but they post on all three of those. I think Instagram is more frequent, so you get more information that way. Perfect. So we'll put uh, all the link in the description. So perfect. Cool. So you recently like also did an interview with a bicycling magazine talking about the balance of diet and eating things that both uh, fuel yourself and also makes you happy. Um, how is that important, that topic for you within sport? And how do you manage to find that balance? Uh, I think there's it's twofold. I think that one of them is having balance in life in general, like um, being disciplined for sure. But I think also like you have to have some flexibility, some ability to adapt. Um, so for me, it's all about the balance. Like if I'm doing too much of this and I'm not taking care of myself, taking care of myself, then I started to go all over the place and then I can't focus on what I was supposed to be focusing on. Um, so for me, that balance is important throughout all aspects. And one of the ways that I remember that is through food. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's also important, especially for female athletes to not get so caught up on the number on the scale and not so caught up on their body image. Cause I think that women, including myself, like I had self diagnosed eating disorders when I was rowing. Um, I think for women, it's so easy to fall prey to thinking they're not good enough because they don't look a certain way because they're not a number on the scale. So for me, it's important that that's not the mindset that the mindset is strength and nutrition and fuel to be stronger um, so I think that that's important to kind of establish, like, I need to eat this because it's nutritious for me and it's a healthy lifestyle and it's helping me be a better athlete, but I can also eat this. Like, it's not, it's not off the table. It's still there. Like, I still can if I want it. Of course. And also, um, we talked a bit about Instagram, but also the impact on Instagram and on uh women as well and young women you know but the body image is not really good as well so it's nice to have like a reminder sometimes yeah yeah for sure i yeah, definitely think that there are a lot of ways that anyone really male or female can fall prey to the negative aspects of things and just to keep that balance in mind even if it's something as simple as I like coffee, so I'm going to have two cups of coffee in the morning instead of one. <laughs> Just something that reminds them that, like, you got this is your life. You only have one of them. Don't have any regrets. If you want, if you want a scoop of ice cream, have a scoop of ice cream. Like, it's not going to hurt you. Be happy. For sure. You know? For sure. So we come back to what we talked a bit about before and happiness. So. Yep. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's at the end of the day, that's what I want to remember my life, that I was just happy. Um, so after speaking to other professional athletes on the first season of the podcast uh, about how weird 2020 has been, uh, we understand that it's especially been a difficult year mentally. I mean, that's what most of the athletes have told us. Um, so how has that been for you to keep up with your training? 
without really having any race coming up in the near future? I think I'm the abnormality. I, I've actually kind of liked the downtime that this year has brought. Um, the ability to ride my bike and just ride my bike and not have anything that I'm specifically training for has made me fall in love with it more. Okay. Um, I've gotten to do things with my husband, like hundred mile rides on Sundays that I probably wouldn't have if I was training for Tokyo, um, that I know I wouldn't have, but I like, I got to be a tourist. I got to <laughs> ride to the Hollywood sign and finally see the Hollywood sign for the first time. Okay. So it almost made it more fun for me and it gave me time to really work on the mental side of things, which only translates to being a better athlete. So for me, 2020 has been a year that has been challenging. Yes, very challenging, but at the same time has made me a better person as a result and hopefully has prepared me for whatever 2021 brings. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's, that's great to hear. That's great. Um, so moving forward, uh, next year, there is like, obviously, Tokyo 2021. Uh, what are your goals, uh, both in the short term, so for next year, but also in the long term? I saw on your Instagram that you post a picture with a t-shirt LA 2028. So is that something that you have in mind as well? Yes, yeah. 2028 definitely is my super long-term goal um mostly because it's my backyard and home country and the ability for all of my family and friends to come watch and see it in person just holds such a dear place in my heart that I'm striving to make it there and I know life is super unpredictable if anything this year has taught me life is super unpredictable so I'm, I want to go to 2028. If it happens, it'll be amazing. Um, short term, I just, I want to make the Tokyo team, like just baby steps, really. Oh. I want to, I want to make the team and then I want to do really well there. Like I want to put all of my training to the test and see where I stack up. And hopefully that means more hardware. Um, and just, just, embrace the moment I think for me the biggest goal I have for 2021 is to just live in the moment more to just appreciate the moments good or bad to to just be very mindful of that and successful in that so that I can enjoy riding my bike and enjoy racing and go to Tokyo and have fun there too of course, of course. <laughs> um so so, of course, you're focusing a lot into your career right now, but have you already thought about what you like to do uh, whenever you stop competing? <laughs> yes, and that's the problem. I have too many things I like to do. There <laughs> uh, are way too many things, but for me, it definitely has to be something creative. I'm a very creative person, um, so I like photography and graphic design and all that stuff, and I've kind of gotten to do that with Angel City Sports, Uh which has been really nice and kind of showing me what it could be like once I do retire, which hopefully isn't for yeah. a while. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I haven't narrowed it down yet. I'm, 
I think I'm just too busy having fun riding my bike. <laughs> of course, of course. I can imagine. <laughs> But yeah. And then at the same time, like I like numbers too. I got a <laughs> master's in accounting this I just graduated at the beginning of this year even. So okay. like doing something with that would be nice also to use my degree. <laughs> so you have many cards that you can pick up. Yeah. For sure. I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome too. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of life, just letting it come as it as it comes and seeing where the road takes me. Yeah, being open minded to new thing and exactly exactly so the purpose of this podcast is to share the story of professional athlete to show that everyone's journey is different and that there is more to success than just the medal and the awards so if you could give one piece of advice to the people who are listening to this episode and that have big dreams but don't know how to reach them what will it be always keep an open mind be a sponge like No matter how long you've been doing a sport, there is always something that you can learn. And you're only going to learn that if you keep an open mind and keep the ability to take constructive feedback, to take what somebody, what's something, to be able to take something that somebody has to say, even if you don't want to hear it, and find a way to translate that to the sport, I think is huge. Okay. Okay, pretty good one, I would say. No, thanks. <laughs> um, so if people want to follow you after this episode and want to know more about you, where can they do that? Um, if people want to follow me and learn more about me, that would be awesome first and foremost. Uh, my Instagram social media handle uh, for Facebook and Twitter too is Sammy Cranks, Sammy, S-A-M-M-I-E, Cranks. Um, And then I also have a website, also CassandraCranks.com, but I'm most active on Instagram, actually. So that would probably be the best spot. Okay, sounds good. So we will put all of the link here in the description of the podcast, of course. So thank you so much for coming to our podcast, Samantha. It's been really a pleasure and you're truly a big inspiration. So thank you so much again. And we wish you best of luck for your training and with the competition in your future. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. And I'm very honored that you guys wanted to have me be a part of it. It's very fun. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars. It really means a lot to us. You can find all the links to some social media in the description below. For more information about us and the podcast, Follow us on Instagram at ecpodcast underscore. See you next week.